Well, it is a it is a joy and privilege to be with you. I'm I'm so thankful that I'm part of a church community uh, that cares for its pastors, and uh, in particular this month, as you may have heard, uh, uh, the board uh, gave Mark uh, a month of sabbatical to rest and be refreshed, and so I'm thankful for that. Myself, after 20 years of ministry with an organization called Part of Change, uh, was given six months to sabbat, or I don't know if that's a word, but uh, to, to take a step back and to rest. And I have to say, uh, anyone who is in their uh, early 40s who can get six months off just to think uh, should take it. Like, I just think everyone should get it. Because uh, uh, at this point in my life, <laughs> as, uh, as an early 40, not that old, um, Zach, <laughs> the, uh, the opportunity just to... to uh, to rest and seek the Lord and uh, discern his uh, working in my life thus far and to begin to uh, kind of recalibrate for the next uh, few decades in front of me. I've just been so thankful. And I'm thankful that Mark gets an opportunity to do that, albeit for a month. I did find in my six months that one month was just long enough to actually reduce the heart rate a little bit. <laughs> and so uh, you can be praying for him. Uh, again, I'm thankful that the church has given him this time. It's good for us as a church that our pastor has an opportunity to be refreshed in rest. And so uh, be in prayer for him. And I'm thankful that I have this opportunity to, s to stand here uh, before you and share a little bit uh, from the word and from my experience as a missionary. Uh, as Mark shared last week, we are going through... Uh, of verse Acts 1, 8, and we'll get to that in a minute, but first I wanted to bring you greetings, uh, much like Paul did often in his letters. I bring you greetings from Luke and Kelsey. Um, I was just down there uh, last week. Uh, oh, I'm supposed to do this. Okay. I'm not very good at doing two things at once. Wrong one. Okay. You know what? I'm going to get you to do it. Okay, Josh? Thank you, man. Appreciate that. All right, so I was down uh, with the family in, uh, in Montana and uh, got to visit with Luke and Kelsey and uh, Jackson and Cooper, um, and they pass on their love and greetings to you. Uh, Luke invited me to speak at his new church's uh, volunteer and leadership retreat this weekend, which was held at their church, and then speak on the Sunday morning. And it was a real joy to, uh, to be in East Helena, Montana, <laughs> as a beautiful place. I called it the Shire. Um, with guns, and uh, the uh, <laughs> it was quite the place. I, I did make fun of them that their uh, local high school is called the Vigilantes. That's the name of their mascots. And I pointed out that in Canada, uh, that would be like akin to my kids' mascot being like murderers or something. Uh, but down there, they were like, "What? Vigilantes are awesome!" And so, uh, quite a cultural experience. But at the same time, uh, we just had a great time with them, uh, catching up. And uh, we certainly miss them, and they miss you. Uh, but know that they are, they are settling in. You can pray for them as the process of making new friends and establishing new relationships is always a bit of a, a challenge. Um, and, uh, and yet, they're in a good place. Uh, the church that they're a part of is growing. It's uh, young in its, uh, in its, both in its existence, but also lots of young families moving to the neighborhood and lots of people coming to the church. And, it's just an exciting time for uh, that community. So, greetings, and uh, know that you are missed <clears throat> by them. 
So Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8. Uh, let me read it uh, this morning. <clears throat> Acts 1.8. It says this. <clears throat> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I think there are three ways that we can read this passage. Uh, three ways that aren't contradictory or somehow discount the other ways, but I think there are at least three ways that just help us understand what this passage is and what it's saying. The first way is it's a, a literary device. It's a device that acts as a table of contents and foreshadows the rest of the book of Acts. And, and you can see this because as you chunk out the book of Acts, Acts 1 to 7 is very much about what the uh, apostles, the followers of Jesus, are doing in Jerusalem. And then it comes to a climax with the stoning of Stephen. And at that point, the church begins to be scattered through uh, persecution uh, to the outlying areas. In chapters 8 to 10, you see Philip, Peter, and John begin to preach the good news of Jesus to those villages and towns outside of Jerusalem in Samaria and Judea. And then starting with the conversion of, of Paul, uh, and even before that with Peter going to um, uh, Cornelius and, and some of the Gentile families around, the church began to wrestle with, well, this good news about Jesus isn't just for the Jews in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but it actually is good news to all people. And Paul and Barnabas are commissioned for the first major missionary journey into the Gentile world, going to, through Turkey and Greece. And then, you know, through the book of Acts, we see that the gospel uh, moves through Turkey and, and all the way to Rome and even into Spain where Paul wishes to go and doesn't actually get to. And he says at one point that the gospel has gone all over the world. And so this, uh, this verse is really a, a beautiful um, literary device that shows what the rest of the book of Acts is going to be about. And I think sometimes we can forget that the Bible is, is, a, is a beautiful work of art in, in, in in its inspiration, but also that it was authors and writers who wrote these things. And, and um, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read ancient literature, uh, the Iliad or Homer's uh, Odyssey or, or some of these great works of, of um, literature uh, that have been passed down for hundreds and thousands of years. The Bible just stands beautifully in there as a, as a, as a, um, a beautiful work. And it doesn't doesn't make it less <laughs> uh, powerful um, or uh, inspired. It is God's word to us. I, I totally believe that. But it is also uh, a, a beautiful literary work. And so it reminds us of that. Acts 1.8 can also be read a second way. It is, and most commonly, I think, a call to missions to the whole world. And we understand this. It's often used as a as a mission statement for mission organizations that are seeking to bring the good news of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. It's a call to missions for the readers, uh, for us. It's a call to missions, and it's a mission statement, not just to those mission organizations, but for the whole church. It's a mission statement. It's Jesus' last words to his people, uh, and those carry some weight. <laughs> those carry some weight. Of all the things he could have said to his disciples, he chose to remind them and, and tell them that theirs was a mission to bring good news to the whole world. 
to be involved in sharing Jesus to the very ends of the earth. This, uh, this picture here is uh, a reminder to me of one of uh, the most incredible moments of my life. I'm just so thankful for this. What you see here is a group of about 30 leaders from around the world who are working in student ministry. Together they represent a student ministry in over 160 countries that they're actively leading and doing missions in amongst uh, university students. And there's 30 of them and here we gathered for a time of sharing and, and learning and leading, uh, learning and uh, strategic thinking back in, um, uh, while we were actually in Greece. And so this is us gathered in the court in Corinth, ancient Corinth. And in Acts, uh, I believe it's uh, 18, where Paul is actually uh, confronted uh, and brought before the court of the proconsul of all of Greece, which happens to be in Corinth. He was in Corinth, and he was brought before this judge for disturbing the peace, for bringing good news of Jesus to uh, not just Corinth, but the whole Greek world. And, uh, and uh, the consul at that point was like, I don't know, it doesn't matter to me, <laughs> go away. Um, and, but it was the beginning of some significant issues for, for Paul. He always seemed to be having them. Um, but here we are, uh, gathered around and in that very court that Paul would have stood. In fact, you know, in that little grassy spot right there is roughly probably where Paul stood before the judge's seat, the consul's seat. And, um, and we just spent some time in prayer. And so what you had is, you had, uh, I, I counted, we had people praying in 17 different languages from all over the world. And to hear these people just uh, cry out to God and give thanks that the good news of Jesus had come to their country, uh, to their world, uh, just 2,000 years later. And it was as if the Lord had given us all just kind of this opportunity to zoom out and say, hey, look, <laughs> look at what I have been doing across the ages and to the very ends of the earth. God is at work. He has been at work, and he will continue to be at work. This is his mission, and it's one he has invited us into. And I hope that you are encouraged as I was encouraged by these folks standing around uh, this circle. So first, it's an outline for the book of Acts. Second, it certainly is a call to missions all over the globe. But third, I think it's a reminder to each of us as believers that we are missionaries to those around us. Each of us have people in our lives who are both in a spiritual Jerusalem and who are at the very edges of the earth in their understanding of Jesus or their desire to know him. And Jesus tells us, you will be my witnesses. I think that's one of the key words in this passage is you will be. We will be his witnesses. It's not you can be <laughs> or you might be or if you want to. It's if, if you're part of his um, body, if you've, been, if you've received his grace and forgiveness, you are included in his mission and you will be his witnesses. People see us every day. They see us every day, and they are watching to see if we are living lives that point to Jesus as a savior, as a friend, as a God, or simply as a lucky rabbit's foot, or a fancy piece of jewelry. We are his witnesses. For the last 20 years, I've been helping teenagers learn to be daily missionaries. And... 
to an extent, I guess that makes me an expert in what it means to be a missionary in Canada. And to another extent, I feel like I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. But I share with you what I have learned today. It's not easy. It's not easy being a missionary. And that is what each of us is. It's hard. It's hard for us to do in our own strength. I would say even impossible. It's difficult. It's scary. In fact, uh, as we surveyed teenagers, fear is the biggest reason they struggle to be active missionaries in their world. It is scary. That's not a false fear. It's a real fear. It's different fear here than it is, say, in other parts of the world where people wake up each morning knowing that if they're going to live for Jesus, it may be their last day. That's not our fear. But there is a social fear here. It's hard, it's hard to stand up for Jesus in a world that sees him as irrelevant and sees even his followers as dangerous, backwards, stupid. And so it is scary. And it can be incredibly disappointing when you pour out your life and you overcome fear and you take a step of faith and people just reject you. It can be heart crushing. And yet it can also be the greatest joy. To be part of what God is doing in another's life and drawing them towards himself. So how can we overcome these fears, these difficulties, these challenges, and experience that joy? How do we do that? Well, the first step, Jesus says, is wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait on the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced in my own life when I daily practice this, this waiting on the Holy Spirit, it's much, uh, the, the reality that I can live out my calling as a missionary becomes uh, much more doable when I actually practice waiting on the Holy Spirit. When I'm not waiting on the Holy Spirit, uh, the last thing I want to do in my day generally is be a missionary, a true missionary. But for me, I still want to get paid, so I do the work, but it's not coming from a place. And so I found this practice to be extremely helpful in being a missionary, which is what you are. <laughs> you will be. In the morning, before your feet touch the ground, would you try this week just, just saying, oh, Jesus, today is your day. Help me to love like you love. Give me your joy. Give me the peace of your presence. Remind me to be patient with those around me. Increase my kindness. Help me to be good. Not in my own strength, but to point to you. Give me, give me the courage to persevere, to be faithful to you, even when I get scared today. Help me be gentle and self-controlled. Holy Spirit, would you lead me today? That's it. Just try that each morning. And I will, I will assure you that your missionary journey will be incredibly uh, dif different than if you don't do this. <clears throat> it's, it's his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control, that as we, as we cling to him and allow him to work these out in us, we become 
his witnesses. So in the morning, if you just say, if you give your day to Jesus and ask him to lead you by his spirit, and in the evening, simply take, as you lay your head down, take inventory of the day. Who crossed your path today? Did you see them? Did you really see them? Did, you, did they say something that you could follow up with? Is the Holy Spirit prompting you to invite them over for dinner, to go out for a coffee, to go deeper? I believe if you do these two things, a morning prayer asking the Holy Spirit to lead and an evening inventory of who Jesus brought into your life, you will be a missionary every day. But I'll give you a few more things here. <laughs> and I think one of my favorite passages when it comes to learning to be a missionary is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'll read this for you. It's Paul writing to the Thessalonians who... Um, was a, a, a church that he had planted. It's largely Gentile believers, and, um, and it's, it was effective. The Holy Spirit, he says in chapter 1, came with power when he preached the gospel. And so in chapter 2, he talks about how that happened. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I have a good friend who says that uh, being a missionary is just learning to be 10% more friendly. <laughs> Just 10% more friendly. God's plan for us has been the same all along, that we would love him and love people. This is how Jesus summarizes the whole law of the Old Testament, that we would love God and love people. And you see it, I think, in the echoes of Acts 1.8, wait on the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses to all people. Love God and be desirously affectionate for those around you. I love how the ESV words that. I've tried to incorporate that language into my, my being a little bit more. Desirously affectionate. Desirously affectionate. What does it mean to be desirously affectionate? How does that change the way I see the people around me if I were to be more desirously affectionate? Love is a word we use a lot, and it's a good word. Sometimes it's nice just to mix it up. I like that, desirously affectionate. If you're trying to be a missionary who gets everything right, you might win some arguments, but pride is going to be a stumbling block you keep running into. If you're trying to be a missionary who builds the biggest church, you'll turn people into a project. And the whole process might feel a little 
sanitized until all of a sudden it isn't. But if you're experiencing God's love and his love compels you to love others so that they too would know his grace, his forgiveness, his peace in their life, then sharing your life with them, sharing your faith with them, becomes a much more integrated process. If it comes from a place of love. So that's second. First, we wait on the Holy Spirit. As missionaries, we wait on the Holy Spirit. Second, we are desirously affectionate for those around us. And then third, be bold. Paul says in verse 2, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Being gentle, even in conflict. I've, I've spoken to a lot of uh, youth groups and, and college and career groups and, and at different churches around the, the, um, the country, and I find often one of the most common posters in the youth room is a, is a quote attributed to Francis Assisi. I, I haven't really discovered whether he actually said it or not, but it's attributed to him. And he said, uh, he said uh, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Have you seen that poster? Maybe you've seen it. Preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. I think it's actually a really good quote. And you have to remember that Francis Assisi lived in a, in a, in a culture that was predominantly Christian, and so he was talking to people who, you know, it was just socially acceptable to be a Christian. In fact, if you weren't, you were socially ostracized. And so there was a lot of people who kind of lived the outworkings of the faith but weren't really internalizing it. And so he was challenging people who, many of whom struggled with uh, high degrees of hypocrisy, to, to live out the gospel. I think if Francis Assisi lived in our day and age, he might say, hey, uh, Preach the gospel when necessary, use words. And by the way, words are always necessary. <laughs> it, it is a message. It is good news. It is something that we share with other people. Being bold means speaking, asking questions. As Mark encouraged us last week to, to, to learn our story and to be able to share it with other people. Inviting people to come with you being willing to admit that you don't know the answer. I think sometimes the boldest move is to say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But let's, let's find the answer together. I'm willing to journey with you. I'm so, maybe you don't want to say this. It might freak people out. I'm so desirously affectionate for you that I, uh, that I uh, want to journey with you. Maybe, maybe don't go there. But in your heart. <clears throat> Think, uh, I often think of the boldness of the blind man who was healed by Jesus. He'd been blind from birth, and he didn't actually even see Jesus after being healed because Jesus healed him kind of by sending him to the pool, and he was healed. And the people were amazed, and, and uh, the uh, chief rulers at the time brought him in, and they're like, who did this to you? Because, you know, they were upset. And, uh, and, and they're like, this Jesus of Nazareth, stop telling people that he did this. It can't be possible. And he says, hey, look, I don't really know who Jesus is. I've never even met the guy, I don't think. I, don't, I couldn't tell you what he looks like. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. But all I know is I was blind, and now I see. And people were amazed. 
I think there's a, <laughs> I think sometimes we, we do get into this place where we think we have to have all the answers before we start. And all we have to do is say, I, I don't know a lot of things, but all I do know is that Jesus is changing my life and hear how he's doing it. <laughs> and that's what I know. Can I share my story with you? Would you share your story with me? I would encourage you, if you did the homework from last week, that maybe, uh, I'm, I'm assuming homework, Mark didn't say that word, but he encouraged all of us to take time to think through our story and to write it down. And I think if you've done that, a next step, if you want to continue with the homework, <laughs> is to invite someone out for coffee and say, hey, I've never had opportunity to share my story with you. Would you, would, would you mind if I took you out for coffee and just shared my story, what my journey has been like and how God has been part of that? And I'd love to hear your story. And I think you'll be amazed how willing people are to engage in that process of sharing stories. Not too long ago, I read a book called uh, Once Was Lost. And uh, it, um, it was written by some IV staff in the States who uh, interviewed 2,000 new believers, people who at one point in their life uh, were not Christians and who had walked through the journey of becoming a Christian. And what they were trying to do was map if there was any commonalities in that journey. And what they discovered is that almost to a person, they could, they could kind of begin to build a model of what that looked like. And so this is it. And they said nearly everyone who came to faith that they interviewed first started with learning to trust a Christian, someone else who, who knew Jesus and loved him and lived for him. And the first step was learning to trust that person, that they weren't crazy. <laughs> the second step was they became curious. They, they began to say, okay, well, what, what, what is this Jesus stuff that you believe? The third step was that they, um, they became open to change. They started thinking, well, maybe what you have, what maybe what you believe is better than what I believe. I'm willing to consider changing my way of life, changing my mind on this. Fourth, they began to seek God. They began to earnestly say, okay, God, if you are real, I want to know. And then finally, they were willing to enter the kingdom and become a follower of Jesus by making a decision, an act of the will to say, okay, I am yours, Jesus. Thank you for dying for my sin. I cannot fix my sin issue, my rebellion, my pride, my arrogance. I cannot do this on my own. I need your And so this journey, every person around you is somewhere in this journey. In the, first, in the first category, you have people who are learning to trust Christians. Now, some of them, I would say there's two main groups of people in this category. The first are, are quite antagonistic. They actually know a lot about Christianity. They even may know a lot of Christians, and that's part of their problem. <laughs> they don't trust Christians because they've been hurt, they've been wounded, Perhaps they just, they know it, but they just don't want to surrender. They just like some of the other stuff that Jesus says isn't good for us, but they like it. They just like it. And so they don't want it. And so they come up with all kinds of ways to say, eh, not interested. And this is one of the most common groups of people around us probably daily, which is part of why being a missionary in Canada is scary. 
is because there's a lot of people who are just like, no way, I don't want it. I know enough, and I don't want it. This group is difficult to engage as a missionary. And I would say one of the things, that's why it's so important to wait on the Holy Spirit, because you can't change someone's mind or heart. And so we pray for them. We continue to share our life with them, patiently waiting for that trust. Perhaps turn to curiosity. That's a hard place to be. There are others in this category who are just ignorant. They've just never heard about Jesus. I have a friend who was uh, shopping for jewelry recently, and um, the person in front of them was asking the clerk if they had one of those necklaces with the guy on a diving board because they had a friend who was a swimmer and they were trying to buy this for him. And the guy was like, they're like, yeah, lots of people wear them. You know, the guy on the diving board, he's got his arms out like this and he's about to die. And, and, and this was like in Canada. So like <laughs> there's, there's people out there who don't, you know, they, they don't know. And that's maybe some of you are here today. And it's, it's okay. It's, it's an opportunity for us to share with them what we know. So in that, in that place, um, though, it's not, you can share what you know, but if they don't trust you, it doesn't go in, it doesn't sink in. And so this, I find in this stage, uh, the best thing to do is simply pray, love them, and ask lots of questions. If you know that one of your friends or work classmates or workmates or family members is in this place, pray, love them, and ask lots of questions. Ask lots of questions. Questions like, hey, if uh, I'm just curious. Uh, have you ever come from, like, do you come from a faith tradition? Uh, I'm just curious what, what your story is. What brings meaning for you? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in an afterlife? How do you decide what's right and wrong in your life? Um, how do you come to these conclusions? Uh, how does your worldview affect your daily life? And then also introducing them to other Christians. And they can start seeing that we're, we're maybe not as weird as they thought. <laughs> or maybe we are, Trevor. But um, <laughs> I just saw you. I don't know why I said maybe we're weird. Um, <laughs> introducing them to others. We are a community and a missionary group together. So that's the, the trust group. But I, I have found, and I found uh, that if you ask enough questions, eventually people start asking questions of you and, and, and the trust begins to build and the curiosity starts to come out. And so when they begin to ask you questions, then you have opportunity to respond. And that's the curious phase. And then the, the change phase I have found that often uh, opening someone to change in Canada is not something we have any real ability to do. <laughs> that is... That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, some th I found most often what opens someone to change is some kind of crisis in their life. And I'm not advocating that as missionaries we should be manufacturing crisis in other people's lives. Can't do that. <laughs> you have to allow God to do that in their life and when that happens, to be there for them, to be there with them, to walk with them through it. And then seeking God Obviously, is uh, when someone becomes very willing to, to, uh, to engage further in their faith, perhaps inviting them to Alpha Series or coming to church with you or uh, engaging more in 
what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and these conversations become a lot of fun and exciting. And finally, there is a point where you invite them to, uh, to make a decision to surrender their life to Christ. And this is the work of a missionary, but um, I wanted to share one uh, story from when I was much younger, long, long ago. Um, there's a picture here of a fellow named Sean who I met in, in university. We became very good friends largely because we shared a name, so that was the beginning. We said, hey, uh, I just introduced myself, my name's Sean. He said, oh, my name's Sean. Cool. What are the chances? Pretty high, actually, for those born in the 70s. Sean Connery was a big deal then. So um, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we started hanging out. Um, we'd shared some things together, so we shared some meals together. We started uh, enjoying uh, time together. We played squash. We, we uh, did some of these things. But very early on in our relationship, he understood that I was a Christian, and that was a big part of my life. And he was one of these people who, who didn't know anything. He was very ignorant about um, Christianity. However, he quickly moved to curiosity. So I still remember, I think it was our second or third time just hanging out. He was just asking me questions. And so I shared with him the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died for me, that he created me to know him, that I had rebelled against God, that, uh, that Jesus had died for me, and that I had uh, surrendered my life to him, to live for him. And he had forgiven me and given me hope of eternal life, but also just a life of uh, healing and, and hope now and Sean was like I remember his exact words he's like if this is true and he looked around in a school cafeteria and he looked around at everybody he said if this is true everybody here needs to know it and I was like Ooh. <laughs> most of the Christians I hang out with don't quite get it that quickly he's like if this is true this changes everything and and so we began a journey together now, we were friends for over a year, and sometimes we talked about faith, and sometimes we didn't. Sometimes uh, he gave me opportunity to share, and sometimes we just did other stuff. And he wasn't really open to change. He, he had everything. He's a, he was good at school. Uh, he was doing well. He didn't really need much. And then one day, his girlfriend broke up with him. And as a 19-year-old, that, like, devastated. That's like the end of the world. And... Um, and so he called me. It was actually midnight, and he called me, and uh, landlines back then. And I was, happened to be home, and I picked it up, and he said, uh, would you come over? And so I went over at midnight, and we talked for a while, and he was heartbroken. And I shared with him about how I had experienced um, uh, grace and acceptance in, in the presence of Jesus, and that he would never leave, <laughs> that he doesn't forsake us, that he doesn't turn his back on us. And um, his girlfriend called kind of for a final conversation. And so he took the call, and me being such a good friend, I fell asleep on the couch. Um, and, um, and while I slept there, he finished his call, and then he sat down, and you can see there's a little track there, and he read through it one more time, and he bowed his head, and he gave his life to Christ. And then he woke me up. <laughs> And we had a good celebration. You know, now he's, uh, he's uh, continues to walk with the Lord. He, he leads worship at his church. And he's a, I think he's a, um, he sells drugs, not like a drug dealer, but like for a legit company. <laughs> he's a 
pharmaceutical salesman. I think there's this business card. His life has radically changed. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had the pleasure of going to his baptism. He was baptized in a public pool by a local pastor whose church he started to attend. And he, um, he loves Jesus and walks with him. And uh, it's just, it's, 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 <laughs> I just look at his face and my heart is filled with joy. Filled with joy, knowing that here's a man who is loved by God and who loves God. And has experienced that partly because I had the opportunity to journey with him. We will be witnesses. We will be his witnesses. As we wait on the Holy Spirit, as we learn to love with a desirous affection, and as we take steps of boldness to share about who we know with those around us. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to be the missionary God the one who would take the initiative to pursue us, to reveal yourself to us, to become a man, to show us what it is to be human, to walk amongst us, to, to live how we were created to live. And then ultimately to die in our place, paying the, the penalty for our rebellion, for our arrogance, for our pride, you took all of that upon yourself. That we, might, that we might be clothed in your goodness. That we might receive your peace. That we might have hope for eternity. Lord, this is good news. And we thank you that, that not only have you done that, but you've given us opportunity to be included in your mission to experience some of your joy as we share this good news with those around us. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you are at work in those we are interacting with day by day. Would you fill our hearts with a desirous affection for them? And would you grant us courage to be bold, to share the best news the world has ever heard? In Jesus' name.